morning. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Today is the second Sunday after Epiphany. Epiphany is this time of the year when we celebrate and remember the fact that God loves to make himself known. The reason the church historically has seized the calendar and said, let's remember certain aspects of the story that we're part of at different times through the year is to help us to stop in time and remember aspects of God's working in the world. It's not unlike the fact that we do birthdays or anniversaries where we stop in time, in space, and say, I, this is the day you, were, you came into the world. This is the day you were born, and we want to celebrate you. Of course, we celebrate you every day in some way, but this is a special day. That impulse to have specialness about things in time is ways that we form each other, ways that we value each other, ways that we allow each other to influence each other right? And this is what the church has said. We need to stop. We all believe the gospel or a part of the gospel, but we have to stop and remember the different kinds of ways that God moves in the world. And so we do Advent and then Christmas, which is time called Christmas Tide, which is more 12 days. We're still learning some of that. Some of us come from traditions that don't celebrate that. You closest you get to is you sing the 12 days of Christmas, but you guess what? Christmas Tide. And now we're in the season of Epiphany. And this is the moment, you, all of us have had epiphanies, you know, that's when things are a little unclear and all of a sudden we go, oh, I, I see what you're saying, or oh, I get what's going on in that movie when it all kind of comes together. You go, oh, you have that aha moment. God loves to give us aha moments about him where he makes himself known. It's called revelation is the big word for it. And it, it must happen precisely because God is not really a thing to be seen, nor is he a person. He's the reason that things exist, and he's the reason that persons exist. He has personhood, but he transcends it. He's the reason everything is. And so he's so tucked into the fabric of the creation and beyond it that it is easy for us not to catch him, and he has to move in order for us to catch him, and he must will it in order for us to understand his working in our lives. Here's one of the oddities we know about God, is that he wants to be known, but he doesn't make knowing him an easy thing, right? Uh, think of the incarnation. Here's God coming in flesh. Incarnation means to come in flesh. God comes in flesh in plain sight as Jesus, but he comes to the last place that anyone would actually be looking for Almighty God in a baby, right? If you were looking for Almighty God, you probably wouldn't have gone to Bethlehem and looked in a manger for a baby, right? And yet that's how he shows up. The infinite one becomes finite in the hiddenness of the world. And yet, even though he is hidden, he wants to make himself known. In our gospel reading this morning uh, that we pull from the lectionary, and by the by, we do that as a community. We read text and preach text from the lectionary. The lectionary is a, is a carefully constructed document that puts together all of the readings through the Bible that over a course of three years, you're going to cover most of the arc of the story that we're part of. And so we commit to it. I mean, we don't always do it if we have feel some, some, something special we should do. But as a general rule, you can read ahead. If you just Google the lectionary, you'll find out what we're preaching on in the next few weeks because we generally commit to it. So today's reading it talks about Jesus being baptized, and it's part of the story of Epiphany because God reveals himself in that moment. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. Uh, uh, John, as he's baptizing, he says, oh, I, I, need, I, got a I got a testimony. I can tell you something. 
about what happened here. I can tell you, this is the Son of God. It was like a flashbulb, bam, I saw it. But it's real, right? There's an epiphany that happened. And God comes out of hiding. And yet the truth is, incidents like that, or the incident of the water to wine is another one that Epiphany uses, and the incident of the Magi coming to Jesus. These incidents, even though they're, 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 they're kind of God popping out, they're, not, they're more like flashbulbs. It's not lingering knowings. And God is clear, but not super clear. God is, is there, but not too obviously there, and you could miss it. There are a number of ways that God has chosen to make himself known in the world. And, and it, through Christ, we know, through creation, through sacred text. But there are ways that are obscure enough that if you're not interested, you'll miss it. Because God is only found by those who seek him. But what we're going to focus on in the next several weeks is not just how God is revealed in those ways, but how he makes himself known through the church, through people like you and like me. What you discover through reading the Bible is that faith is not just supposed to be parochial. In other words, it's not just to be for you and a few you know well. But faith is for the world. Faith is, our faith is to be shared with the world. We're, we're called to share our faith. Now, if you're anything like me, you start to shut down right about now because one of the messages I hated as a young Christian was the idea that I was supposed to be an evangelist on some level because evangelism messed with my head. Um, that I needed to preach to people and tell them there was a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, right? That kind of aggressiveness. I thought uh, evangelism for me was a very violent thing. And uh, I, I thought I had to convince and argue and defend and coerce and get people saved. I remember one night sitting as a 15-year-old on my bed and I'm thinking about heaven and hell and I'm thinking, you know, this stuff is real. It's got to be real. I think it's real, right? So, and I so provoked by it. I thought, people are going to hell. I got out of my bed, put my clothes on, went out in the street, and the first car they came, one in the morning, car way down the street comes down, the, and I'm waving the car down. The guy finally stopped, and I walked over to the, you know, he rolled his window down. <laughs> I said, sir, do you know that there's a heaven and hell? He said, are you crazy? And he drove off. And I was standing there thinking to myself, there's got to be a better way. I really don't believe that um, the gospel was ever supposed to be about carrying a shotgun or about being forceful. I want to suggest to you today that there are three things that I think capture the heart of how we're to communicate the gospel. And it's something that I'm hoping that all of you will find places and ways to embrace it. The gospel is the good news about God. It's the good news that he cares, that he loves. He wants to be involved with people's lives. And so I want to talk about that. And the first, the, the, the way we make God known, the, 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 I think the gospel is mostly, if we're going to communicate the gospel, it's mostly not about attacking people or confronting people. It's mostly about loving people. There's this verse, I don't know if you've ever heard it, beautiful verse, for God so loved the world. For God so loved so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever just believes in him will move out of perishing and move into this space where there's life that's beyond human life. It's life eternal. John uses this term zoe in Greek. It means the life that's of God, 
the stuff he feels, what he experiences, that that's communicated to us. What a great verse. We see Paul revealing the kind of a snippet of how this love operates in a story that is recorded in the book of Acts uh, in this city that he visited. And it says in Acts 14, starting in verse 8, in Lystra, there's this guy crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and he had never walked. And he listened to Paul. And as Paul was preaching, speaking, Paul looked directly at him and he saw, perceived somehow that this guy had faith to be healed. That's interesting. And he called out, stand up on your feet, guy. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. (laughs) In other words, they missed the point. Here was God working in their lives, a direct action of God, and they co-opted into a pagan narrative. They co-opted into a false narrative. But what's beautiful is Paul doesn't get upset. Nobody gets upset. God is not upset. God doesn't care. I mean, there's, you know how many people in your life right now that God does stuff in their lives, and when he does, they don't give him credit. They don't give him thanks. They even give thanks to the wrong place, to false places. God's not upset, and nor is God not still loving them. But you know why? Because God is reckless in his love. He is incautious in his care. And so we read on. It, it, it says that they, had, they, they said, you're the gods that have come from us. And Barnabas, and they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes. These are Greek gods because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus, this pagan priest, whose temple was just outside the city, they hear about it and they bring these bulls and wreaths to the city because they're, they, 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 they saw the crowd and they wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and to Barnabas. I mean, this is like wild, cultic, crazy Praise the gods stuff, right? And, and so as they're beginning to do that, um, the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this and they tore their clothes. They rushed in the cross and said, guys, wait, why are you doing this? We're just guys like you. We're human like you. We're bringing you good news. We're telling you to turn from this stuff that isn't really real to the living God who made heaven and he made earth and he made the sea and he made everything that's a thing. In the past, he let nations do what they wanted, but yet he, he hasn't left himself without a testimony. Even when you were missing all the kindnesses of the gifts of creation and the gifts that he gives you in your life, he still gives them. He still testifies by being present in your life. And this, he says what the testimony is. He shows you kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, and watch this, and fills your heart's with joy. Think of that. Every person on this planet, when they smile, or when they hold a new baby, or when they fall in love, or they're hanging with friends and they're laughing and remembering, those are the gifts of God. It's his testimony that he's given humans life and that the human experience is gift and that all that's around them is gift. And God just loves that, whether they ever get it or not. Whether they offer false, you know, uh, sacrifices to gods that don't exist, God stills just committed to them. Why? Because God loves people. He's like a, a fisherman who goes out fishing and to the fish, and, and anybody takes, he takes the bait and throws it in the water. <laughs> no hooks. He doesn't, he's not, he has no alternative or alternative motive. 
He just loves people. There's a kind of recklessness about it. Matthew 5, Jesus says the same thing and he's talking to the disciples. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that just makes sense to me. (laughs) Right? Love your neighbor, that's good. Hate your enemy, that's safe. But he said, let's change this up. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is like, this is not intuitive, Jesus. This is just does not make sense, right? He said, why do you do that? Because then you're most like your father. You're like sons of your father, which means the father loves enemies of his people that discount him, that don't believe in him, that don't care about him, that won't give him thanks. He said, because the father sends the sunshine on evil people and good people. And there's something wonderful about the sunshine. Lord, let it come to Tulsa. He sends rain, not just on good people, but rain that gives life on people that aren't good, that are unright. He says, if you love those who love you, yippee-i-o-k-i-a, right? What, what What reward will you get? The tax collectors do that. And if you only greet your brothers who are, what are you doing more than anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But watch, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. What's he saying? If you want to step into the perfect expression of who God is, recklessly and incautiously give and celebrate and love people. This is the heart of the message of the good news. I I have to ask myself the question with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, with my colleagues, with those who brush up against me in my walkabout world, am I incautious and reckless with kindness and with love? Or am I just selfish? See, the gospel is being kind and loving and giving and forgiving and staying committed to that until someone asks you, why are you so weird? I mean, you're constantly forgiving. You're constantly giving. You're, you're, you're kind. What, what, what's up? I mean, I'm kind of being mean to you, and you come back at me with kindness. I slap you on the one cheek, and instead of reacting out of that pain, you turn into the other cheek, and you're responding from a different place. What is that about you? If no one ever asks you why you live in a kind of zone that seems to be kinder than most people, more loving and caring than most people, then you're not being a very good, if they never ask you, you're not being a very good icon of God. An icon is representative. You're not revealing him to anyone. So the gospel really starts with us reflecting the kindness and the love, this incautious kind of expression to people around us. And I think secondly, The gospel is about waiting for the question that emerges from that kind of lifestyle. You can wait for the question. The more loving you are, the more kind you are, the more forgiving you are and giving and engaged and caring, you are, you will rubberneck people. (laughs) They'll just go. You'll stick out to them. It's like the magi that Dr. Green talked about last week when he was talking about how they were just staring into the sky. That's what they did. They were astrologers. They watched the skies and something in the sky was weird that caught their attention. See what God intends for us, I think, when it comes to the notion of being a part of his story and reflecting his glory, is that when they look where they look, at the office where you are, in your, in your neighborhood where you are, in the Starbucks where you hang, or whatever you are, wherever you are, that somehow that when they look your way, 
this, you're like a star that's different and it creates question. And they start looking and as you stick out because of kindness and loving and caring, eventually they'll say, what up? And they will test you. I mean, I, you, those of you that get this and have done this, sometimes when people see you kind, they try to be mean just to see if it's real or how surfacy it is. Or, or they'll just watch you for a long time before they ask any questions to see if, that's, if it's consistent and if it's in various kinds of situations or if you're just kind when it benefits you and then when something starts being pulled against you, switch. People will watch you. But if you stay loving and kind and giving and reckless and incautious in your celebration of the other, people will eventually ask, what is weird with you? Why are you like this? Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 3. He says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. See, if you do this in yourself and you set apart Christ as Lord, where you're letting the things that you believe actually change the way that you live. If you're letting the things that you believe actually change the way you treat others. If you're letting what you believe actually change the way you think about money or change the way you think about working. Your life will begin to articulate light in a way that will cause them to ask. And that's why he says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, and then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I think it's what we have to remember when it comes to evangelism. The main issue to me is that evangelism isn't so much about coercing people as presenting a life that creates the question where people can willingly come. The Magi, when they came, they came because they were looking in a place and something provoked them to curiosity. And as they followed the curiosity, they asked questions. They eventually came and the star led them to the Christ child. Somehow, it, but the point is they came of their own choice. They came of their own volition. I don't think we're supposed to try to persuade anybody but simply declare to people what we've experienced and let God draw them. The gospel, I think, is, is basically the, the, the faith that you have messing with you until it changes how you think about yourself and how you work, how you treat others, how you engage and make the world more just and more beautiful, and people will start asking you about what's going on. The gospel is not promotional or coercive. It is simply this, it's full of naked attraction to those who are captured by love. And when they feel its pull, they'll begin to ask questions. People are looking your way and they'll, they, they, if they see something unusual, they'll begin to ask. I know lots of living examples of folks who do this well, working on jobs, being moms, being dads, you know, just in how they participate in the world around them. They create questions because there's something very alive about them. But one of the people I thought of when I was preparing this message that I think does a really good job at this is Annalise Stukenborg. She's here this morning. Annalise, stand up so we can see you. Okay, so here's Annalise. All right, so she, welcome. She, uh, uh, she's the, uh, uh, really belongs to the famous Bernie and Pam Stukenborg, <laughs> who are rock stars in the sanctuary context. Um, you guys know them. But uh, she's a beautiful young lady in her early 20s, and on a DNA level, she's an artist. She does paintings. This is one of her paintings, kind of, in a, kind of a, I don't know what you call that, it's impressionist or something, but it's cool. Uh, or, and then she also does stuff with her hands, you know, this patchwork, I don't know what you call that, sewing stuff together, whatever it is. <laughs> it's cool, though, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, this, this past year or so, 
she's been a missionary uh, at a missionary school in Mexico that teaches students how to learn languages and not just Spanish, but they engage with culture so that the gospel can sort of leak their way uh, into the culture in which they live. And uh, Annalise wants to go somewhere remote where there's uh, no necessarily a bunch of Christians living. And her goal is simply to live well and somewhere in that world as she's living until someone begins to ask her why. Uh, this is how she describes her strategy for revealing the world to, uh, to Christ. Um, uh, I'm quoting from an email, quote, by observing how people live around me and allowing my concepts to just be concepts and not right and wrong, I can become integrated and a member of their community. I must let go of my instincts of how to accomplish a task, whether that is buying milk or exiting a party graciously, and do it their way. This can only take place through deep relationships. And she's talking about reaching the world, and there's no bullhorns involved. I love that. She goes on to, uh, talking about how some of the places that she may end up will be places of isolation, places of hardship, and because she believes she wants to be involved with the developing world. And she says, quote, I can bear suffering. I know life on a different continent will bring much more than exciting adventure and often difficult times and frustration, if not outright danger. However, there's no earthly joy that can compare or pale the glory I know in Christ. This is my ultimate satisfaction. And in the months, last months, uh, I have seen the impact that it has when I hold it close to myself daily. In many ways, my heart has been exposed by how quickly I turn to something earthly for happiness or comfort instead of Christ. I'm being refreshed in what it means to be actively content and to hold tightly to Christ, and, but loosely to the ever-changing circumstances around me. Sounds like an old person talk. That's awesome. Old soul. I love it. She goes on, though many elements of my life will look different across the world than here in the States. Those are just external differences. Where I live and what my job is may change, but my purpose does not. Also, in the day-to-day -day differences of a new culture, my identity in Christ will keep me grounded as I adjust to new food, new climate, new family structures, new clothes, new concepts of space, and all the others. Christ is our incredible example of giving up his identity to become like people in order to bring humanity into a redeemed relationship. He is the life and strength within me and the example I've been commanded to follow. Sweet! Now, I encourage you to meet her. Uh, Annalise is not a preacher. She does not have a mega personality that overwhelms everyone. When you talk to her, you're struck by her gentleness. You're struck by her listening skills. She always sees you. You wouldn't be intimidated by her presence, her public persona, but her choices to enter a life of sacrifice just to live in a way that creates a question and those around her, that's pretty intimidating. She is a true evangelist. She is what we are called to be. Mark 16, 15 says it this way. Jesus said to them, this is right before he takes off into eternity, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Again, the image in my mind was always of a guy with a bullhorn in a public place talking a million miles an hour, coercing people that if you don't repent now, I'm going to keep talking to you. 
And so we come to Christ just to get rid of them. <laughs> it's overstated, but I like overstating things. I think Annalise is a perfect example, exemplar of the evangelist we want to do. And if she's willing to do what she's doing, leaving the possibilities of career, family, income, to go to people that, that she doesn't even know, and to live in their context and to do her art and her work with her hands in the hope of creating questions about God, maybe we could rethink how we're doing what we're doing here in Tulsa. And uh, whether we go to work or at Starbucks or the office or the clinic or go to classes, or if we provide a home for our children, maybe all of life is ministry. What if our everyday rough and tumble world and life, what if it matters? What if that's the place where God wants to make himself known and to be flashbobbing to people's lives around us, to create questions? And what if the way we reach the world isn't just by talking over radio or television or trying to be, give people tracks? I'm not against all those things. I think they have their place in certain ways, but we have way overthought this to be the case of that. It's idea of evangelism to the point where I think evangelism has true evangelism has been lost. Dallas Willard wrote, quote, the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. What if that's true? What if how you live could show the world the living Christ? If that's true, how sad would it be that if it's true that, that you're looking at your own life disparagingly or in some way not taking yourself seriously? If you, that would mean that you'd be wasting your life by the fact you don't think you matter. Wastefulness, another word for it, is a prodigality. It means that you're living a life where you don't really understand what you have. And sad to say, when it comes to the church, many of us are prodigal daughters and prodigal sons. My last observation, I think the role of the gospel is about preparing to give an honest testimony when asked. We live in a kind of way, it creates the question, and then we've got to be able to respond to the question. We, I think we need to prepare ourselves to respond because if we get, if we live right and just do that and don't prepare, somebody will ask us and we won't be ready for the moment. <laughs> I think that our, what we need to do is get straight about what's going on in you and to not just use religious language, but in the words of your own life with honesty. You don't need special skills, nor do you need to marshal convincing truths, right, to sell the deal. Just tell people who ask about your story. Tell them about what's governing your life and, and, and about what's influencing you to be the person that you are. And then juxtapose that over against the fact that if it wasn't for, for what God is doing in your life, you, you're maybe not as, be the same kind of person. The way it sounds to me is if somebody notices me being kind or somebody says, oh, you're so kind. I'll say, well, actually, you know, I know I look like I love people, but I really don't like people. Right? I mean, I'm just as selfish as the next guy. I, I, you know, I, a lot of times all I want to do is move through life and my interest in you is, would you please stay out of my way? I mean, that's just kind of my default. But, but, but then saying, but, but God has been messing with me and he's putting love in my heart and somehow the, there's a change in me. That's, if you're seeing anything, you're bumping into that. It's not me. 
right? That's how, it's a testimony. In other words, you have to testify, which just simply means tell people what happened or tell people what's happening in you. (laughs) That's your role. And don't miss the warning Peter gives in this, that he says that we're to do this without, with absolute humility, gentleness, and respect. In other words, he warns that we're supposed to do this without an ounce of superiority. No better than thouness. And we're to do this with this absolute sense of respect for the other person. And in the context of 1 Peter, he's talking about people that have been cruel to you. We're still to maintain a kind of kindness. We don't talk to them about God because we're reveling in the fact that God will get back at them later for treating us the way that we've been treated by them. None of that kind of stuff's in there. And, And let me acknowledge the fact that testifying about God, even when you've lived right, is often a very scary thing to do. In fact, uh, it's something I think that requires prayer. There was a guy that I, and you've heard this story before, if you listen to me very much. Um, uh, there was a guy in, in college. Uh, I, w- I was in college. It was back in the 1600s. And um, <laughs> it was my sophomore, freshman year, I think. And so I'm, I'm taking these classes, and, and uh, he, was a, he was the biologist. So he was an uh, uh, agnostic, maybe atheist, but, but you know, he just kind of you know, just had no expression of faith at all. So I'm this robust, I'm loving God as a young guy and wanting to share my faith, but knowing, okay, I got to, I just got to, I got to, I kept thinking it's my responsibility. I wasn't thinking God, I could live in a way that created the question. I was living in a way that I could push in and try to think, well, as soon as I can, as soon as I'm ready, as soon as I kind of feel like it might be time, I'm going to just hit him, right? And give him the gospel, right? Kind of thing. Okay, so I'm living, I'm being kind to him, I'm living ethically. In fact, at one point, because I was helping him behind the scenes, uh, kind of doing work-study stuff for extra credit and stuff. So I was working behind the scenes, um, and I was in nursing school, actually, but I was working behind the scenes, and and so as I'm doing this, at one point, he tried to give me, a couple of times, he tried to give me the tests. He said, listen, I'm giving you a test on Friday. Here are the questions. Just take a look at them. He said, I'm not going to do that. Right? And laughed, you know. So, so that kind of stuff was happening. He'd look at me quizzically. And uh, then uh, we got about mid-summer. It was kind of, I think, spring break. And it was kind of pretty out one day. And I'm downtown. And I'm walking around. And he pulls up in a car. And he rolls down his window. And he says, Ed. I said, hey, Doc. Leaned over, put my face in the car. I said, how are you doing? He said, great. And then he got real serious. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, why are you always so happy? Why, why are you like you are? Well, somebody might call that an open door <laughs> for the gospel. But see, I wasn't expecting open doors. I was expecting railroading. And I looked at him, and I found myself on my back foot, and I said, I don't know, Doc. I, just, I, guess, I guess I'm just a happy guy. Okay. Drove away. I sat there and I thought, you stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> Three months went by. It bothered me so much. I finally called him up one day and I said, Doc, do you remember when you had... But, and I started trying to explain to him. He, wouldn't, he didn't want to talk to me. It was a moment. It missed. I, I get what Paul says here when he prays, asks the people to pray for him. This is Ephesians 6. He said, would you guys pray for me? That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I can fearlessly make known the mystery about the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Would you guys pray that I can declare it fearlessly as I should? So I think one of the reasons we should pray about our days is simply to say, God, would you, as I'm living well, would you help me catch the places where people 
ask. And then give me the boldness to be able to speak. Because I need your help. I'm going to miss opportunities if you don't help me. This, you have to pray about your day. You have to ask God to help you be a part of, of being open and listening as you live out this kind of life. So let me ask you. Have you faced your responsibility as a believer to make God known in your world? What if the most some people will ever see of God is you? The people that cross your life, handymen, people that you frequent in restaurants, that you work with. What if the most they'll ever see of God is you? And are you living on purpose? Try not to fake, not to try to love them so that they'll hear the gospel, you know, that you'll get your opportunity. No, just love them recklessly. If they never ask you, if you never get an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, you just flat love them. Why? Because you're like, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God and you want to be perfect, which means reckless, incautious, and celebratory of the other even the mean ones, maybe especially the mean ones. Are you living in a way that creates the question? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you forgiving? Are you giving? Are you engaging? Are you caring? If people gaze in your direction, do you shine like an odd star to anyone? And, and will you, like that star in that, that Magi story, will you, will you be the one that comes to the place where Jesus is discovered by you? Are you what does that look like for you? I'm hoping that we can explore this together over the next several weeks. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at sanctuarytulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.